plus one was an actual Christian band. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Alan. Hello there. (laughs) On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. Hello, everyone. This week, we are going to be talking about euphemisms, their function in scripture and culture, and we are going to continue that somewhat of a theme into our segment and bring back an oldie, but I think a goodie, a little segment we like to call Jesus or Jay-Z. Before we start the conversation, I this just... I saw this this morning, and I really wanted to say something. I know this has nothing to do with the conversation, but have you seen the study going around, especially in Christian circles, about the survey of mitochondrial DNA? There was a study that just came out saying 90% of species are less than 200,000 years old. So they, they studied the, – there's different types of DNA in us, and in our mitochondria, the cell's powerhouse, it carries um, certain features – that like link species together really closely. And so you can study those by looking at them kind of like a barcode. And scientists have discovered that 90% of species are that young. And one of the only explanations must have been that there was like a big dying off of older species or maybe species evolve really fast. But Christians are like sending it around the Facebook universe like, oh, hey, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, We know what's the truth is. And that is that species are less than 10,000 years old, and there was a global flood that killed off the dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, jeez. Right? Are we going to have to redo right. the, the evolution episode now? Probably. But uh, all that to say, I just wanted to address it, like, at the very outset. There are good scientific reasons for why this is the case that don't have to do with young Earth creationism. So, you know, the scientists involved aren't questioning evolution in general. <laughs> they're <laughs> They're just recognizing that the 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 species that exist now are actually a lot younger than they anticipated but it doesn't mean there aren't other species that came before them anyway and there's still dinosaur bones in the ground right you can't get away from the giant lizards that lived millions of years ago <laughs> uh anyway all right euphemism sorry that was alan's little side soapbox maybe you can cut that out but i'm just really passionate and i can't control myself we need to have bonus episodes alan's rants Really? Alan's Alan's treasure trove of knowledge. Separate podcast, maybe. See, there's a euphemism right there. Alan's (laughs) treasure trove of knowledge when really it's just ranting. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So there there are euphemisms in the scriptural texts that we have. Uh, I figure we could give a few examples so people know what we're talking about before we talk about the function of euphemisms. Right. Well, let, um, let's start with the definition of euphemism. So sure. I think that there's there's a lot of, you know, I think we use like words like euphemism and metaphor and idiom, and we kind of lump them all together sometimes in, in one thing. So when we're talking euphemism, we're talking about it's typically in context of like sexual language or whatever, but basically it's a softening of something, right? So like... If we're talking about sex, instead of just saying effing, we like, you know, we say make love or it's it's something that kind of softens the tone of what it's really talking about. So I think that's not not just sex, but around social taboos in general. Right. Exactly. Violence or yeah, our our argumentation like we had it out rather than we really like, you know, fought each other or something. It's a it's different. It's a function of language. Yeah. To soften taboos. Right. And, And we hear at Iranicast, we think 
language is super important. And we think that its function and its different genres or categories of, of, of rhetoric, especially because I think that that's, we live in a culture that is really based off of things moving as a result of rhetoric. And, and I, I think that that's been true for a long time. Um, so th- this is kind of a subcategory of rhetoric. It's used for a specific function and in a specific way. And I think just like any form of rhetoric, it can be used well and it can be used for devious purposes. So, uh, so let, let's look at some examples from scripture that, that you may or may not know about that kind of have a, a, I guess a meaning that we are not privy to because another, you know, another part or another identifying marker of euphemism is that they are culturally they are, contextual. Exactly. They're, they're bound to the culture in which they're there. So, uh, we have a lot of separation from scripture. Right. So my favorite that I always point at to kind of, I, I think the reason I like studying things like euphemism and culturally contextual um, elements is that it go it pushes back against what I was taught in my younger days, which was the Bible is easy to understand and it's easy to apply. That's like what I was taught in church. And so you just read it and you do it. And you're jumping over thousands of years of, <laughs> of like distance and uh, the process of interpretation and hermeneutics. That's a really oversimplified way to look at, at studying these scriptures and ha- what, what they might have for us um, or not. So my favorite to point out, I guess, to students that I work with is uh, the Boaz story. And right. there's this, <laughs> there's this Facebook group, man, I shouldn't be putting them on blast, but I'm going to, that's called like waiting for your Boaz. And so women are encouraged to like wait for their Boaz. And uh, the funniest thing about that is that she didn't, <laughs> She didn't wait for her Boaz. She like she did the very opposite. She snuck into his room at night and uncovered his feet is what the text says. And uh, the feet is a very common euphemism. And this is like provable euphemism in Hebrew scripture for genitals. So he was sleeping and she like engaged in a sex act while he was sleeping to kind of arouse his interest in her specifically she'd been working in this field he had seen her and so she didn't wait for her boaz she went in and you know she took her boaz exactly (laughs) yeah and and not that that's good or bad but the the function of saying she uncovered his feet is to like euphemistically say what happened right well euphemism and then the next word is explicit right so the next word in that verse is that she uncovered his feet and lay down and the word lay there in the hebrew is exactly like there's no yes. question about the context of that particular use of the word. It is, and is he it sends in a her sexual out. manner. He sends her out in the cover of night, which under the cover of night, which is like, you know, this is uh and so there's there's other times where uncovering feet, like uh David is hiding with his men inside of a cave in first Samuel twenty four, and Saul comes in to relieve himself and uncovers his feet. You know, like he's peeing and they're watching him. Or in Isaiah 7, verse 20, there's this king, there's this prophecy about this king being like brought down from the heights. And it says the hair on his head is going to be shaved as well as the hair on his feet. And it's like, well, it's not talking about the hair on his feet. It's referring to pubic hair, right? The hair of the feet. And so there, there's this sense that distancing language helped. Um, well, we can talk about why these things exist, but I would like to point out a few more. I kind of want to go down. So th- these are like... <laughs> things you read as a kid and you just go straight over it oh, yeah, well let me feet. let me go with one first because there's one that i didn't realize initially so i'll, I'll provide some 
of my historical context to this, there was this band that my youth pastor introduced me to when I was, I don't know, maybe a sophomore in high school. And it was this band. I think they only had like two albums, never really hit big, but a Christian band. They're called Johnny Q Public. And they had this song about the women of Zion and their bald heads. So it's basically this weird random song about the bald women of Zion and all that kind of stuff. And it comes from a verse in Isaiah chapter three, verse 17. It says, therefore the Lord will flick the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. Well, your forehead is already bare. Uh, so the, the, like the technical translation of that word forehead is socket hinges or secret parts. Jeez. So <laughs> it's, yeah. And to be made bare is to be made naked. So it's basically, again, going back to that whole idea of most likely it's talking about the shaving of the, of the woman's, um, pubic hair. So after I had learned that in the early part of my college and I heard that song again, it, it took on a whole different meaning of, uh, and what's interesting to note is all these euphemisms are feminine nouns from what I, from, from what I've looked at. And it's, well, it, mo- well most, most like, and this is this occurs across many languages. If you look at etymology, the words for body parts are feminine. Spanish, a, a, a lot of like cut off face, a lot of like Latin based languages. And I know this is Hebrew, but it's so weird to me that lots of different um, languages use feminine nouns for the different body parts or things like right and left. It's different it's for us because we don't really I mean, we assign the gender of our parts based on the gender of right, who well, we are most of the time. Our our words, our nouns aren't gendered in the way that like, um, but we do nicknames, right? Like little guy or <laughs> however you but, want to refer. But like in Greek words, nouns are male or female or neutered just by like the function of the language itself. The function of English doesn't, doesn't necessarily have that hand is like neutered, right? That doesn't have a male or female, um, ending to it. So I gendered words are not necessarily connected to gender as in person, but, it is fascinating that the things that are closer to us were were feminine nouns. Um, so that th- there you go. There's an instance of something that carried cultural meaning that was uh, spoken in a certain way, and then Christians in 2000 whatever <laughs> or 1990 whatever uh, make whole songs about it, not even realizing what they're they're working with, you know. And that's why like hermeneutics matters and cultural context matters, and uh, those who talk about like infallibility could could stand up all day and say they care about that, but the way that meaning is culturally contextual is something that like is hard to get away from with these euphemisms. What I mean by that is we like to say there's one meaning forever with the Bible, right? If you're evangelical or you believe in uh, in, in inerrancy, did I say infallibility? I meant inerrancy, and this does push back against that. Something I I was just you know surprised about was a lot of the the vows that people took and we blush with our culture right we read back with our purity culture toward all of these things but like some of the vows people took they would actually take it while holding each other's testicles in their hands like abraham in genesis 24 right his mm-hmm. servant promises to find a, a wife for his son to you know to continue his line and so he puts his hand on his thigh is what it says but you know it's it's referring to something different or uh i remember sitting in class and hearing my seminary professor talk about isaac and ishmael there's this moment where isaac has been weaned and he's uh playing with ishmael and sarah sees it right and she kicks out abraham's servant hagar who had the 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 child ishmael and so um 
kicks out this like Ishmael and Hagar sends them out into the wilderness. And, uh, that word play, <laughs> play, it actually is, it translated mocking in some places because that's a possible translation. But the only times it's used, uh, in that form in all of Hebrew scripture are actually within like five chapters of the, of that verse. And it refers to fondling, sexual fondling. So like there's a sense that, oh, Ishmael was playing with Isaac. Like there was some connection there. Like he was, you know, fondling him or playing with him sexually or something. But when we read it, all we see is play and we don't quite pick up on what it's saying. Some of the the euphemisms in the Bible are just super obvious. Like there's a places where the text is shy. Like in Judges, Jephthah promises to sacrifice whatever walks out of his house, sees his daughter. And then at the end of this text, it says he did to her what he said he would do. Rather than saying like, oh, he killed her or, oh, he dedicated her to the temple or something. It just says he did to her what he said he would do. So there are euphemisms in the text. And when we read those, it's easy to be like, wow, I missed. Look how like gross or look how weird and different the Bible is. And I think the functions of euphemism are important. In these cases, what I like to look at is these Holy texts for the people who wrote them and used them had a certain function, like a liturgical function. And it was important to circumvent taboos. Lots of different cultures are reading these things, lots of like the different tribes and the people around them. And to circumvent taboos is actually effective. If we had to address every time we spoke to each other, if we had to address our uncomfortability with different topics, (laughs) how much would we get done? Like, no matter who we are. And so there's a way to walk around that in, in the middle of, of speaking. But sometimes, as you've alluded to, euphemism can be damaging or it can be underhanded. And a lot of times it is, especially in <laughs> in political political discourse, right? And I think this speaks to the whole – You call idea. that spin. Right. You call it spin. You can call it whatever you want. I mean, you can call it outright racism a lot of times or sexism <laughs> or, you know, if we want to – take away any kind of softening of some of these words and things that are used out there. Uh, but I think that that's an important thing, right? So it's like, I think it's, again, just like I said at the top of the show, I think it's it, it can be a device that's used uh, in terms of a political sphere to uh, to continue to oppress or hide or, you know, uh, soften language from what's really going on. Or I think it can be in, in the long run used as a form, as a way to protest, you know, as a way to to challenge the status quo in a way that um, the only analogy I can think of is like when you had a substitute teacher in school or you had a teacher that was kind of not super um savvy when it came to cultural rhetoric and stuff and you get the teacher to say something that they thought was this and then everyone would giggle why are you laughing when i say this word or whatever and not understanding the whole context of it and that's a way that you would kind of exercise a little bit of protest towards the the power that's in front of you because there's a lot of really interesting things i think here because i think euphemism is also somewhat in the the eye of the beholder so i ran across this uh article um, from a, clearly a very conservative woman who would consider the word sex worker a euphemism. You know, we shouldn't use the right. euphemism of sex worker because it's softening prostitute or whore or whatever. And that is horribly egregious to me. So the whole idea of it being euphemism, something that softens the edges of something is actually, from my perspective, it's something that's more accurate to 
the reality as opposed to that. So I think that we you can kind of you have two sides of of the the coin of this kind of right yeah. Up. I wouldn't see sex worker as a euphemism at all. Right, like, exactly. I see it as like a a scientific definition, and I, that's that term's loaded as well. But you're right; these are all centered around positions of power and power plays language is a game right a game that puts people at the center and puts people on the outsides and it matters it matters how we look at things for instance political spin enhanced interrogation techniques was a term that was coined by uh what's his face colin powell and his people who waterboarded people who tortured under like geneva convention tortured human beings in the name of the United States in places where they were in like dark cells because uh, not dark cells, but off the map, basically they couldn't do it on American territory. So they would go do it in Guam or do it somewhere else. Maybe Guam. Where's uh Guantanamo where's Bay. Yeah. Guantanamo Bay. Thank you. Or uh, the worst one was in Iraq. Um, Abu, Abu Ghraib or uh, yeah. I forgot how you pronounce that. I've, I've read it a hundred times, but Look up Abu Ghraib or Abu Ghraib and you'll see uh, that the stuff that they did to people, they would say, oh, this is an enhanced interrogation technique. And it's like, no, it's it's torture. Torture, right. Yeah. And you changing those words. Think about the power involved there. That euphemism alone justified destroying people's worlds, destroying their minds and their humanity. The function of euphemisms are, are powerful and it's something to pay attention to. Exactly. I think a good example of this is different headlines, right? Like, so we're in the midst of, as we record this, uh, which, you know, is, you know, the beginning part of June of 2018, there has been a wave of controversy surrounding a tweet from Roseanne Barr. And, you know, you see terms like racially charged or those kind of euphemisms in turn, in, in place of racist, you know, wrong, <laughs> immoral, right. evil, uh, and, and the euphemisms that tend to soften in these political realms and especially in, in headlines of different news outlets and stuff like that tend to, you know, not tend to almost always favor the person in power and soften, you know, the language, but when it's someone who is, you know, a criminal or a perceived criminal, then the the language is usually harsher, and it's usually harsher around someone of of, of color or, uh, you know, even a lot of, even someone who's transgender or or queer or whatever, and mm-hmm. that's that's a the, these are damaging things, right? So that there has to be some sort of like, uh, there's a there's an important culture of naming things, right? So that so uh, if you read a lot of you know, Orwell's writings, this is something that he's very much against, right? I read this article that was inspired by his, where the guy says euphemistic language is the timeless enemy of anyone concerned with clarity. And in a certain way, that's very, very true. But then you forget the the artistic uses and the, the, right. the uses in which you can, you can use it as a, as a form of protest or a form of, or even, a, or even in like comforting and, and, and closing gaps between people right, exactly. or circumventing things that don't need to be talked about necessarily. Uh, I mean, when you're writing a paper or doing a journal, like you're journalistically describing something from an objective angle, you try to leave out as many euphemisms as possible. If you're writing a term paper, all the citation things will say, don't, don't do it. But um, God, I can't remember his name. Someone said, uh, uh, where did I read this? He said that euphemisms are social cologne or something like that. Diplomatic cologne. So it's 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 a way to like approach someone that doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily off putting. Like say you have something really hard to say and you need to say it in a good way. That like 
skillful means kind of thing is uh that's a tenet of of zen buddhism but like being skillful at what you do to arrive to, to even do language and do connection is something that we're losing <laughs> so right yeah i, I almost tell euphemisms matter because it, it helps us remember and recognize that we're at different places and sometimes when we're speaking we have you ever feel like you're talking to someone and you have an onion and you're just peeling back layers to get down to the real issue but you're addressing all these other things i, I like euphemisms in the sense that it helps you just ignore some of the layers, right? Some of the things to talk about that you don't have to talk about that you, you don't need to because you know where each other stand and you're avoiding that topic to go to something deeper, what you're actually speaking about. But that's like in a best case scenario. I agree with you, like 90% or maybe 99% of euf- euphemistic language right now is political spin because we live in, in a world of political spin everywhere we look. It's actually kind of creepy. Right. It is. It's really difficult. It takes interpretation every time you read the news or every time you jump on Twitter or every time you try to get an idea of where someone's coming from is because nothing is, you know, it, it, this quote of it being the timeless, you know, enemy of clarity is, is pretty, is pretty true or it certainly feels that way in terms of the information that's fed to the masses in our country, at least. And, and I can't imagine how much worse it is in other parts of the world. And I think that that's, that's that's not a good thing. It's not. It's not at all. And so, what do we what do we do with that? The only thing that we can you know change right away is is our language, right? Like, where are we employing the same type of things in a way that's either helpful or harmful? You're talking about softening the edges, and if you're talking to a person one on one, then of course, if your if your goal is change, if your goal is or not even change, if your goal is connection, if your goal is understanding, then euphemisms are vitally important because you prevent on on a physiological level, you prevent the brain from jumping into fight or flight and not hearing anything that you have to say, right? So you're you're creating an atmosphere. Part of it is kind of creating a space, a mental space with your words in order to have that kind of connection. Um, but if you're and that per- quickly slips into manipulation, it does. It does. That's a good point <laughs> for someone's. Be- so I, I'm I always I have everybody's best in mind, Jeff. It's just my personality. I'm altruistic. I want everyone to. But that Sometimes I catch myself manipulating other people for their own good. That's dangerous. That's a bad thing. That's like the underside of, and I see that in euphemistic language. Is there, is there a difference between, this is a side note, between subtweeting and euphemism? Subtweeting is when you call out someone, but you don't say their name. Like you're just talking about a topic or a person and you don't put who you're talking about, but you make it kind of obvious by the um, stuff you're speaking about. I don't know if euphemism could be applied there, right? Probably there not, has right? to be some sort of direct. That's just more of like passive aggressive. Indirect passive aggressive. <laughs> passive aggression. <laughs> uh, so one, one thing I I know I always bring it back to the Bible, but that's my place in this in this show is that when you read texts, even ancient ones, recognize that there's these things at play. That there are political reasonings and hum- it is fully human. I love Pete N saying that in the sense that the incarnation of Jesus is human and divine. It's the same thing with scripture. We we might look at it as God inspired or God breathed and there's like a presence of something happening there. But it's also fully, fully human. And if you let go of that, you let go of the Bible because that's what's really there. You really see just look at the difference between the Chronicles and the Kings, the way they talk about the same events are politically charged and they come from different angles and they'll describe things that, and they use language that distances or maybe pokes at things, right? Sometimes the prophets are the anti-euphemistic language, right? <laughs> like they're trying to call things out. Like 
but there are times when the history of the Hebrew Bible is the opposite of that. It holds these things with kid gloves, with euphemisms and distances itself from wrong. And I, I find it fascinating that, uh, that meaning is carried through this context just because the boat itself is fraught with edges. It has certain edges and curves and the wood warps a little bit. doesn't mean what it's carrying is somehow disregarded. If there is meaning being carried by all these different things, how else would it come to us? You know, what else do we have besides human language that's fraught with humanity? We don't, there is no way to speak in a scientific way that is completely divorced from all perspective. Right. right. And nor like should we, we want it that way. Light, right. Enlightenment behind. <laughs> yeah. And we, nor should we want it that way. You know, like right. the, what it, we do, there's a big segment of people who do want it that way, who want language to function in a monolithic way. Because when they read the Bible, they want it to be easy to understand and easy to apply, you know? Well, I think they want the Bible to function that way. But I don't know if they want – I don't know if anyone – I don't know. Maybe when when you have that cake and then you actually eat it, you realize it's not that good. There, um, there are people who, who want to clarify language. I think it's really interesting. Have you read or seen the documentaries? I, for the life of me, I can't remember what the what – the, it's going to come to me, man. But it's where there's a technological revolution, and so nobody has to work because everything's automated, and all language has been set up to one th- like scientific language or whatever. The tech, oh God, what's it called? One of our listeners will know. <laughs> but there's like two documentaries that came out about how we need to move to a scientific language where everything is just cut and dry. And I, I like to point out that like there is no such thing. No, I think that's impossible unless you do away with humanity, right? Like machines could probably accomplish that eventually. And but but, even machines, they but but they're coming from somewhere. The fact that you point the the camera in a certain direction already implies the outcome, (laughs) right? And and that's one of the problems that I was I was actually I can't even remember. It's not even in my purview, but I was listening to an episode of I listened to so many podcasts but I was I was listening to an episode of podcasts where they talked about the inherent bias in programmers and you 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 think in terms of like AI yes. and how it's if you just put in a computer it's unbiased but they found you know they find that al- social media algorithms like the bias will leak through the people who are programming it and you know even then you'd think that that would be like a quote unquote like pure place if you're putting it into a computer to come up with a fair thing but even then it's not so i struggle to believe that that's ever going to be possible you know we'll just create bias machines and they'll just or even determining the parameters in the first place right exactly i mean there's it's fraught with contextuality that's a postmodernism, right um that's not to say that everything's valid and it's something i have to always tack on that's not to say that everything is equally valid Right. Because there are things that are yes. more concise and make, you know, more of a claim than others. So that's where the church, the Christian church goes crazy is that they look at postmodernism and they're like, oh, this is scary because the meaning is contextual. And it's like, no, just, you know, calm down. It doesn't mean there is no meaning and it doesn't mean there is no way to argue different ideas. <laughs> like it just means that these are culturally contextual. And really, it's just, you know, a naming of something that's always been there. <laughs> you know, it's yes. not like all of a sudden we're creating meaning, meaning that's contextual. Like, that's just been – it's just been. It's always there. But, Jeff, uh, if that's the case, where is capital T truth? Oh, man. That's a whole episode, right? How, uh, how long has it been since you heard that phrase? So long, which has been kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, that's not true. I've heard it a lot. 
under this current administration. Um, really? Because I see the different. What what this looked like to me. We're going to take the political bend, bent, bend in the road, but it just seems like Trump is trying to destroy meaning itself. Like everything is meaningless. Everyone is selfish. Everyone is narcissistic. There are no ideals. There are no norms. There are no values that should be upheld. Like everything is meaningless. It's almost what it feels like every time he gets up and speaks. Yeah. But the rhetoric of his supporters is he's speaking truth. Capital T truth. <laughs> That's ironic. <laughs> I know. Hey, I texted you this morning the bumper sticker. Exactly. Yeah, Dude, we'll put, hey, we'll put that in the show this. notes. There's a picture of it. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read it out loud, not just in the show notes. Let's see here. Uh, someone on their bumper decided to put – it's a picture of Jesus, like mid-crucifixion. Trump, the man who left his great life to be defamed. Okay, by the way, <laughs> by the way, I have heard this in person and seen it. Trump left his great life where he could have kept making money to take on this humble public servanthood is a is a story that has been told. And it's like that is not the case. He is making tons of money for himself and his family and his empire. This is a money making scheme more than it is him humbly publicly serving. Right. Like he's promoting his name, dude. Anyway, the man who left his great life (laughs) to be defamed. Mocked, ridiculed, and humiliated to serve and protect America. Donald is mine, chosen, divine. Stand with him before man, and I will stand with you before my father in heaven. Yeah. Literally equating Donald Trump with Jesus. Not there's no there's no euphemism there. Dude. <laughs> I feel like that's exactly that's exactly what's being said. <laughs> like there's instead of like distancing and being like, hey, sometimes God uses mysterious means. Instead of saying like, hey, my religion is okay with racism, it's like, oh, God uses you know, works in mysterious ways. That's a euphemism for you know and uh there there's none. <laughs> Either you're with Trump or you're gonna go to hell. <laughs> Yeah. You know, before this administration, I never put a whole lot of stock into the whole like the unholy trinity, you know, the Antichrist and the false prophet and the whatever the other one is, the beast. But I don't know anymore. (laughs) I'm kind of seeing that. Right. Everyone's joking about that. I I read, you know, there's a Antichrist going to lead the section of it was always supposed to be the the leader of the U.N. was going to lead all these liberal Christians to blasphemy or whatever. Man, it's so weird how how different. I really wonder if he looks like God's chosen agent to people. I really wonder if they like totally believe that or if that's just a form of play because it it just seems so obvious that the things that he's doing are very selfish. I mean, he says it out loud. He says it out loud that he's trying to build himself up. I mean, there's been no mincing of words there. Well, I think I think it goes back to this idea that we're talking about. This rhetoric is that people have have their rhetoric has been co-opted. So much so that you they can't even recognize it as as euphemism, right? Like as something that's that's softening something yeah. more diabolical behind it. And I think that that's that's the difficulty of it. Like it's moving to a place where you know people who, for the most part, have been associated with a, you know a legacy of like um, being a decent person, however you define that, or even just a spiritual advisor, right? Like look at Franklin Graham. Like he's going on this big tour right now in America, Did and he basically hit up your former church. 
I think he uh, spoke no, at but that. close oh, to right. it. My former denomination, yeah, and uh, you know, he he's a lot of the the rhetoric surrounding his speeches are not even necessarily like here's what we believe and we need to stand for it, but actively attacking progressive Christianity as not Christianity. Like, you know, it's 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 softening the words that they use, but then also. You know, part I know. I wonder if like a maybe this is off base, but I wonder if like a form of euphemism is not so much softening the words that you believe, but hardening the words of the other side. Yeah, that 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 would be the political debate over what euphemism is, what qualifies as euphemism, and what doesn't. One thing I've noticed is that the destruction of language itself has been a um, part and parcel of this administration, destroying language. Like literally saying, do not use these words, speaking in a way that dumbs down the political rhetoric. And I think it's resistance to actually use language, to have it flourish, to keep some of the words that are disappearing from our vocabulary. Right. So so this is this is the perfect context, right? Like these are the things that, you know, George Orwell would be talking about in 1984. Like these are the embodiment of those things that are happening in front of us. So then how do you or do you combat this like – attack on language with a different type of language yeah. or is it's it more important than ever that we use euphemism that, right. that's seriously where i'm landing on is that i look at the divide between people it is so deep and it is so politicized the language itself is politicized in such a way that people who agree think they hate each other but they agree on so much and it's like well maybe we start need to start using language to heal divides and come closer and and fight the very people who are trying to divide us with dog whistles i i i want to be a kind of person who pays attention to how language functions it blew my mind in college when i watched uh different news uh casts in in class and then analyzed how different places reported on the same <laughs> the same subject and I, f- I feel like the progressive Christians who are engaging in social warfare is a bad word, but that's what it feels like. <laughs> Shane Claiborne and the Red Letter Christians going to buy liberty and holding like a revival right outside, opposing what uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. has been saying Trump is like God's chosen person, right? And saying, no, this is not from God. I think anyone who's engaged in that needs to really pay attention to what their words are doing in the minds of other people. Like you're not responsible for how people are going to react. Of course not, but we are responsible for using our words well in such a way that doesn't just cause unnecessary divide because it feels good. God, it feels so good. to. I think it's proportional to power. So I I do, while I do agree with you sort of, I think that the more power you have when you put those words out, the more responsible you are for other people's actions as a result of those words. Like the, the the rhetoric that Trump has used, particularly in regards to race, has had a significant increase and emboldened people in terms of hate crime and violent crime and stuff like that. So I do think that we – I think that's part of the problem is that we try to separate words from responsibility so right. much and don't think that they, they then have a life of their own and that we're not responsible for that. Like it, speaking in terms of rhetoric, you know, like I think I've said this on the podcast before, but one of the things when I was – young and studying the Bible that I always had a problem with was the whole, you know, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau saga, where, you know, Isaac is tricked by uh by Jacob to take the birthright. And then when he finds out about it, just doesn't say, Esau, hey, Esau's never mind. By Jacob, by Isaac, right. So by Jacob. Yeah. Isaac is tricked by no, Jacob. Isaac is 
Isaac's the, the father, father, and he's tricked, oh, yeah, tricked into by, getting he's tricked by Jacob into getting his yeah giving the birthright, getting his birthright, That's what you're saying. Yeah. and getting the blessing. And then when Isaac realizes it, I always thought, well, just just take it back, you know, just say, oh, never mind. But but then as I learned, like there's this there's this sense that at least in, in ancient culture and especially in particular um, ancient Judaism or or the ancient Near East, is that you. Your words become its own entity right. in a sense when they leave your – like they have consequences of their own. They create something that you are no longer then in control of. And when you understand Jeez. that concept, I think that that cha- changes the way we should live and move and breathe in this world because we are creating something, good or bad, and we should take responsibility for those sense, things. In that sense, ancient peoples were light years away – light years ahead of where we're at right now. They – understanding the the function of language, we've lost that. Right, we've lost it, and and but yet we're suffering the consequences of it, which is which is really you know discouraging. Like we think we can delete a tweet or whatever, and all of it's gone. But no, those things last. They they become their own thing. We think there's no consequences to what we say, so we put up a racist tweet, or we, uh, you know, right, and then we say something as useless as we've been hacked, or we were on Ambien, or. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever that 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 that's not going to happen. But those words and and it's proportional to the power or influence that that person has in whatever sphere they belong. And I think that that goes back to you know when Jesus was talking about if you cause any one of these little ones to stumble, you tie a millstone around your neck and jump into the deepest ocean. You know this idea where great where where great power is given, responsibility is required. And I think that that's even more so true with our our words because they do become they do become their own entity. Jesus himself used the euphemism. Side note, he talked about whatever goes into the stomach enters the sewer. He was like, I, I wonder, okay, sometimes it's overlapping for a euphemism and an idiom. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's just an idiom. Sometimes it's just a euphemism. I can't tell in this situation. I think it's in Ma- in Mark. I don't know. But he says, and this has to be a scribal gloss because, you know, the early Christians disagreed about whether they could eat unclean food or not. And Jesus is like, no, you can eat whatever you want because it goes into the stomach and enters the sewer. Instead of saying, you poop it out, <laughs> he just says, it enters the sewer, right? That's like a euphemistic way of saying that. Well, sometimes euphemism is poetic, right? It's, it is. It's much more. And, and we need that sometimes. <laughs> we, right? like we need that particular form of language. So I think that, uh, I think for me, bottom line is, I think euphemisms depending upon how they're used are important or incredibly destructive. Almost, you know, basically the, the spectrum of like beauty and ugly is how I see euphemisms. They can provide beauty to a situation and connection, or unfortunately we're seeing more and more in, in our culture at large, they, they destroy, yeah. they utterly destroy. It's not just a neutral function of language is what we're arriving right. at. You know, Sometimes you could say conjunctions are almost neutral or the word the is almost neutral in some places or and or whatever. <clears throat> and not, nothing's neutral, but euphemisms almost are never neutral. They can't be because they're serving a function that um, is highly charged. Paying attention to language is so important. I mean, we're doing a whole episode on just euphemisms itself, but we miss them when we read the Bible. We miss them when we listen to hear in- enhanced interrogation techniques, and they have big consequences. You write a song about people shaving their pubic hair when you think it's about <laughs> something completely different. It's just a funny image of bald yeah, women, right? Geez. Like, like, yeah, you miss you're missing the complete and utter Man, point of all. I that. love missing um, stuff and-, and going crazy in my evangelical past. I love it so much. There's so much that I just took <laughs> and ran with. 
I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, let us know what you think. I, maybe this could, I, I feel like, you know, this could turn into a series of episodes that we do every now and then just analyzing different forms of rhetoric or language and how they function in scripture and how they function today and how we can, how we can create a moral code around them, right? Like how to use them in a way that really, if, if we want to be people who believe that the words that we say create and don't destroy, then I think that that should change our posture in the world. Uh, it's certainly been something that we've tried to be explicitly or even subconsciously mindful of as we've gone through the process of having this podcast, which is, you know, pretty much all you get is our is our words. I want to um, so, hear that. I want to pray someday, like, my, my our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, that will be done. Keep us from participating in the euphemisms that hold people down the euphemisms that destroy, like keep me from that evil temptation to soften my language when I should be speaking truth to power, when I should be calling things racism, when I should be standing up and speaking the truth. I want to be kept from that because I do have a desire to be peaceful and connect to people. And uh, as Yvette Flender told me on the side one time, like you can't, you can't always do that. There are times when you have to speak truth. And conversely, you know, give us the wisdom to use, softening yes. language when appropriate, yeah. you know, when someone's down, you know, don't kick them while they're down with your, with your words and, and, and lift up and build up. Um, so, so let us what, know what you think. Add your voice to this particular conversation. Uh, comment on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 119. That's irenacast.com slash 119. Also in the show notes, you'll find all the relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways to like, follow, and contact the show. That's irenacast.com slash 119. Uh, speaking of language, on the other side of the music, we'll be bringing back one of our favorite segments, Jesus or Jay-Z. So Jesus or JC is our the first segment we ever did. It was on the very first episode of Irenacast, Irenacast.com slash one, if you'd like to hear it. And uh, basically the premise of this game of this segment is that each of us have chosen a song lyric, and it is the task of the other host to guess whether it comes from a Christian artist or a quote unquote secular artist um, or song. So we understand that at times this gets hazy, right? They're the in-between bands like, uh, like U2 and Switchfoot who are like, well, where are they? The original, like, Uh, oh, are they going to play on MTV? Oh no, U2, dude. U2. Totally the, I feel like all of Christian worship from the nineties to the two thousands was based off of U2 music. And now all the, the current white Christian music is based off of Mumford and Sons, right? So it's like, Yay! That is such a good man. You cut right to the heart right there. That's what it is. That's I'll these are the that. the Christian influences that come from whatever. Anyway, uh, so we've each come up with some lyrics, and we're gonna try to guess and have some conversations on. We're in this world, but not of this world. Right. <laughs> Do you still have the "not of this world" sticker no, somewhere? No. <laughs> I thought of that already earlier in this episode. For those of you that don't know, I used to wear like a hat. And had a sticker on my truck. I was one of those guys. Oh my gosh! It was the, it was the pre it was NOTW NOTW not of this world. Yeah, and the early 
years of MMA, a lot of like Christian fighters would have that logo on their fight. And it was, uh, the precursor to, you know, Driscoll Dude, dumb. Someone, <laughs> someone posted like a early two thousands youth pastor starter kit or like mid two thousands. And it was too brutally honest. Goatee, little like piercing on the ear, NOTW hat, jeans with flip flops. <laughs> like an energy drink in your hand. <laughs> and l- we were both victims of it at one point. We were. We were. We were. Perpetuators. Yeah. I, if I could go back to that, I would do I would do it right now. I mean, there's a lot of problematic theology. There's a lot of things I would be horrified to even participate with. But the innocence of that time, so innocent. So beautiful. The world was unbelievably simple. Okay, so here we go. My first one is this found a hole that fill inside myself this emptiness by my own hand so constricted self-inflicted it's more than i can stand that that's got to be a christian song so are we going to do extra points if we guess the artist or if we know it do one point if you can guess whether it's christian or not three points if you guess the artist oh okay all right because that would be impressive so, so I'm going to say it's Christian and I'm not going to answer yes or no until you give me an artist. Until I give you an artist. Okay. So I'm going to take a wild stab at this because I think that this particular band has a tendency towards lyrics that mix punishment and pain and love. <laughs> By the way, that's like all of my adolescence. I'm working, out, I'm working out to Pandora in the gym and I'm like listening to stuff and I'm like, oh my God. This is awful. Holy yeah, crap. Some of it's I really bad. I feel like I just beat the crap out of myself. What the heck? I'm going to go with Skillet. Christian God, music. that is so close. Skillet is basically my like. So yes, it's a Christian band, of course. Um, Skillet, their album. God, what album was it? Where it was just self-named, I think. No, Invincible. Whatever album the song Invincible is on. I just listened to it again. And it made me feel really good. Like I, I missed it. Somehow it did something emotionally for me. Skillet was my mo, man. No, this is a band called Decipher Down. Oh, I remember <clears throat> Decipher yeah. Down. I used to wear their that green shirt with a little angel guy on the front. Right. Anyway. Oh man. All right. Well, one point. That's not bad. Spirit That's not West bad. Coast. One point. I almost. I'll give you a point and a half for saying Skillet. That's pretty legit. That's as close to Decipher Down as you can get without being Decipher Down. Kind of is right. <laughs> Skillet is spawned like a whole yeah. Anyway. All right. You're up. So my first one is Race for the Morning. You can hide in the sun till you see the light. Oh, we will pray. It's all right. I'm gonna say Jay-Z, as in like secular, non-Christian. Okay. And the guy, what's his face? Who sings Take Me to Church? That guy. No, it is not. Although you were right, it is a secular song. It is by Dio. It's a song called. I don't like the word secular. We did a whole episode on right. It is secular versus sacred. Hey, go back and listen to those episodes if you hear this and you're triggered by that word. Totally in there with you. Right. We had a three part series on that, didn't we? Secular, sacred. Yeah, I loved that series. Spaces, spaces, language, and something. People. Check that out in the show notes. Let us know what you think. We'll put the links there. Um, Yeah. So, so let's say this is this is an artist that does not come from the Christian tradition. That's a better way to put it. There you go. There we That's go. better. Okay. See, language is important. Or it's not <laughs> part of the Christian, contemporary Christian music machine. Milieu. Right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Zitz and Lieben. Uh, the artist is Dio, and the song is Holy Diver. 
which Dio? Kill Switch Engage did a wonderful Forever. cover of this song. Yeah, that's the song. <laughs> I was just talking to one of our listeners about that recently. A lot of those like Kill like, Switch Engage and like some uh, of the harder yeah. or yeah. August Burns Red. Kill Switch is my favorite. Red. August Burns Red is a metal band. They're they're still within the they're kind of a lot of those metal bands, they it didn't matter like whether they were they came from like a Christian subset right. or whatever. It's like their subculture mattered more than anything else. Right. <laughs> right. I just saw metal, August metal Burns Red like two months ago. It was a good concert. Here we go. We don't deal with outsiders very well. They say newcomers have a certain smell. Yeah, I trust issues not to mention they say they can smell your intentions. Yeah, it's a secular song. Or I'm sorry, a, a song that is not within the contemporary Christian you're saying Jay-Z. Machine. I'm saying Jay-Z. Well, I don't want to I don't want to turn Jay-Z into like a <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's wrong too. <laughs> hey, what's what's the wait, no. Is Maybe it we should rename the segment. Autonomy. What's the, the what's the I used to love I used to love education and language. Man, is metonymy where you say like the White House instead of Paul like Washington DC stand is a stand-in for I don't know. You know the whole administration. I'm not good. Let with me look that it up stuff. real fast because you know this is important stuff that our. If we're going to talk about the importance of language, Jeff, we're going to get this right. Here we go. Metonymy is the substitution of the name of an attribute or adjunct for that of the thing meant. For instance, you say, "Hey, that suit," and when you mean business executive, because the business executive is wearing a suit. So Jay Z is a stand-in for all of secular <laughs> secular music. I feel like that's. Unquote. That's jacked up. We're bordering on something. Uh, well, Wrong. you know, not to not to you know make a euphemism. That's racist. Like we we need to be careful. Yeah, that, you know what? Maybe it's time it's, for a segment change, a maybe name it's change. Time we need to name change it. You know, let's let's recognize that we're on a journey too. Right. So we've come a long way since we started this podcast. I listened to some old episodes, and I'm like, I'm a different person. Right. <laughs> so then, so then, this segment shall be henceforth known as. Um, Jesus or non-Christian stuff. <laughs> no, that was a joke. There's no way to do that. Church or well, club? I don't know. Church or club? Hey, I kind of like that. K love or K thanks bye. <laughs> <laughs> K love. Oh my God! If you know what that is, God bless you. Right. If you don't, look it up, and God bless you. Well, you know what? Let's let's do this. Let's let's open it up. So the next time we do this, we'll have something decided. So give us your give us your suggestion to rename this segment. Uh, I think we we were we were much more concerned with the, the the sound of it than we were perhaps the implications of it. So let's let's rename right. this, and we we give this to you, our listeners. And autonomy uh, of the masses. You let's brainstorm this new this new thing this new segment i know there's a lot of different iterations of it like I, when i was looking for song lyrics there's like can they, they took lines from the movie of uh uh 50 shades of gray and gave you a multiple choice on is it from the movie or is it from a christian band and <laughs> <laughs> it was really eye-opening uh yeah In my head this whole thing came from a south park episode where the boys create that christian band plus one where they just sing no, like no, I don't think horrific that's horrific songs plus, as if they were Christian. Plus one was an actual Christian band, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that it was the band name in South Park was something completely Crap. different. But I, I don't remember what it was. Up. You're right. Plus one's a real one. Oh my god! Hold on, I you can hear me typing because I'm I'm typing this up. Alan is an aggressive typer. 
if you haven't I'm noticed already. I'm the most already. aggressive typer. It's, it's a really a, a, a problem. His typing problem. literally echoes. You probably just heard it now. I have an issue. Faith plus one. <laughs> Faith plus one. <laughs> it's all that. Remember like that, that whole idea of like audience of one? I think that was even a band. It was certainly That's, a saying that we used a lot in, in ooh, worship. Audience of one. I'm not singing for anyone but God. That's right. Okay, so you you said it was. I said it was secular, <laughs> non Christian, non Christian, whatever. And we got to figure this out. Did you guess which one it was? Uh, I'll give you some more hints. I'm I'm guessing it sounds like something that's in the punk genre. So I'm gonna say Green Day. No, so you're loving on the freak show sitting next to you. You'll have some weird people sitting next to you. You'll think, how did I get here sitting next to you? But after all I've said, please don't forget, all my friends are heathens. Take it slow. Oh, I know that song. It, <laughs> I know who that is. That's uh, uh, oh my gosh, the something pilots. Um, yes, yes. They are just able to drink. Right. Twenty-one. Twenty-one. Pilots. Twenty-one pilots. So it, l- l- listen to those lyrics. Hold on, they're talking about an insane asylum, right, or whatever. Uh, we don't deal with outsiders very well. They say newcomers have a certain smell. Yeah, I trust issues. Not to mention, they say they can smell your intentions. You're loving on the freak show sitting next to you. It all sounds like a early '90s angsty, like right in church. Does. But they but love those people with tattoos. They <laughs> they wrote that song for the movie Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah. So it makes sense in in that context. Right. So yeah. So, so yeah. Church, so church is like. So my question is: is Do I'm you saying. count that as a as a non Christian group? Because they actually. Formed. No, they did not. Are they did. Serious? They formed at a. At, they're all Christians, explicitly so, but they had. They never signed with a Christian label, and they don't. This is bull. It's I'm true. It right Look now. it up right now. This is like real time. This is probably one of our our more. I don't know. We, we should do more freestyled segments. We should do more more real time looking information up. We're human beings. We don't know everything. Who am I? Um, it's true because I love the 21 pilot. I like their, their, their original, their first single. Um, um, I can't wow, remember Wow. They're right friends now. in like junior high playing yeah. basketball. Are you kidding me? Right. What's, what's their big song before this one? It was, um, Oh, it's a Christmas gift from his mom. Gave him an old keyboard. Oh my gosh. What's this their song? So cute. You're not answering my question. What's, what's their song? Their big song before oh, uh, the heathen song. I don't remember. Oh, all I remember is the music video, and they're riding big wheels. They're they're riding big wheels, and they're all their family is in that video too. Wait, that's them, dude! I love that video. I had no idea that was Twenty One yeah, Pilots. Twenty One Pilots. Um, that's them. I gotta look it up now. Is it uh? Is it called Ride? No, it's not called Ride. I I know the song. I listened to it a bunch of times because I, there's a, a sliver of time where my daughters loved that song, so it was on repeat stressed a few out. times. Stressed, stressed out. out. That's right. That's what it is. Stressed out. I should. So known if you're that. listening to this, go look up Stressed Out. Great music video, and now that you know it's Christian ish, you you should feel even better about listening. To they it. <laughs> they are Christian. I don't no, know. They really are. That's Did you so confirm weird. it by your? You, I, you fell down I a could, hole and you didn't even. You're right. You know, Wikipedia is is the the spawn of of hell. I jump so much around there. So how many points do I get for that? You'll get one. Just one. You were you were originally going to say uh, what's their faces? I was going to say Green Day. Okay, I, I grant you that. That's fine. <laughs> oh, I love Green Day. They I'll have some one. good XD songs. Okay, so here's my next one. Here are the words: craving your electricity, 
Feet to my pain you give, wings to my fear your peace, inhabits my blood, your love is thick. Your love is thick. That sounds like a mid 2000s Christian band <laughs> or late 90s. I'm going to guess OC Supertones. Oh, no. Oh, You're right about it being Christian, band? though. It is a Christian okay. band. Um, but it is not. It is the, I think, the king of this segment. It's Skillet. DC Talk. <laughs> hey, see, Skillet, I have heard that song. Right? Yeah, I, you have. Oh this is from their Alien Youth album. I feel like their their, their second much. through like fourth and fifth albums, the lyrics are very like a mixture of like like S and M and love. Like there's a yes. lot of yeah. Like there's there's a so they have a song called Locked in a Cage in their second album where they want God to beat the sin out of them. It's weird. <laughs> um, and this song is it's called uh, Kill Me Heal Me, which. I have heard that song. Yeah. Talk about mixed. Uh, this, they, they must have had a very odd relationship with the divine during this period of their yeah, lives. Yeah, Some of the songs are fantastic and beautiful. And some of them are just, yeah, absolutely painful. I think there's a lot of addiction or something going on there. A lot of their songs are about that even more recently. Alan, what's your next and final song lyric? Oh, I, didn't, I thought I gave three. You gave two. Um, did I already give this one? It happened without warning. It came so fast. No. Unanswered questions hanging over my head. Facing changes on my own. Never helping. I'm falling back in the hole. That's a Christian song. It sounds so familiar. I, I think I might have even heard There's it. There's no way you've ever heard this. Well, then that means I'm probably wrong about Christian if you're saying that. It is a Christian band. Okay, it is a Christian band. <laughs> it sounds so familiar. This is like a Tehachapi-esque band. I feel like this is a smaller Christian band that a lot of people don't know about. But I could be wrong. Who am I? I'm going to go with, just because you said Tehachapi, and I'm thinking, this is just probably my my own horrible bias, but I'm thinking like Twangy or something. Something in Kateman's Call. No. Kateman's <laughs> so. <laughs> Call was really popular, dude. Oh my gosh. <laughs> No, attach me is like dogwood or something. This was uh, Hangnail. Oh, I remember Hangnail. I know Hangnail. Lots of electric guitar. Little, little, the, one of those tooth and nail punk bands that came out. Yes. Yeah, I remember them. Dude, I feel like my mom bought a subscription to tooth and nail CDs because we had so many. In you our remember house. Seven Ball Magazine? Did you ever get that? No. Oh, it came with a we didn't read magazines. sampler. Well, you were That's a little after me. I was. Yeah. Anyway, no, we, we listened. We had like Lincoln Park, and I feel like she met someone that was like, "Hey, if your kids, if your kids listen to Lincoln Park, like the very first Lincoln Park album, did you have one of those? Love this. Did you have P-O-D. one of those posters that said, if you like this, then you'll no, love but this.' You did. I did. In your <laughs> office. <laughs> I did. Oh man, dude! I used to listen to like, uh, what's that? We should do this some other time. Yeah. I could go on and on. We could go on and on. There's gonna be a lot of editing in this episode. <laughs> For real. All right, so my final one is when I'm alone in my room, sometimes I stare at the wall, and in the back of my mind, I hear my conscience call. Dashboard confessional. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you're guessing it's a... I'm going to guess it's a non-Christian tradition song. And I'm going to go with um, Death Cab for Cutie. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Some sort of emo band. 
Ooh, you are way off. Uh, it, not with, it is a non-Christian group. I took a risk because this is a pretty well popular I, I song. I feel like I've heard that. Like you probably have. It's from. Uh, it's from in the eighties. Wait, first of all, before you say anything, you'd never take a risk with me. I don't know anything true about anything when it comes to pop culture. True, that's very. I'm true. Start, do you remember how I mix up actors? I've started a list. I'm up to like fifteen now. I can't tell the difference between Elijah Wood and the guy who plays, uh, you know, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or whatever. Or Toby, Elijah Wood was in Toby, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> who's the guy who plays Spider Man? They're all Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire and Elijah Wood are literally the same person in my mind. And then you're thinking of Radcliffe for no, not that guy. Harry, not Harry Potter. But there's a third one. Who's the third one? Who's the guy? Who I don't plays, know. Uh, yeah, I you don't... do. Who's the one who looks like those two? They don't all look alike to me, Alan. <laughs> it'll come to me oh just keep your elitism i read books thing to yourself okay it's not elitism (laughs) it just is Uh, i don't watch tv because my dog barks at it that's true it's obnoxious this is a prison i live in a prison get a muzzle of my own making oh my god (laughs) i did try desensitization where i just left the tv on for a really long time (laughs) (laughs) and we were both haggard by the time it was over oh oh, i can't do this all right so do you want to know who yes this is ll cool j i need love it's like his first big hit from the 80s it's actually a really cool song anyway figured i'd mix it up oh ll cool j needs love too he does need love (laughs) the rest of the song is pretty fun Anyway, okay. So I think <laughs> I think we've gone uh, long enough with this segment. It was fun. Uh, so that'll do it for us this week. Alan, how can people find out what you have going on on the interwebs? Facebook, which is funny because I guess young people are no longer using Facebook. Nope. You're They're too all old. going to YouTube and Snapchat. So since you're old enough to listen to podcasts, uh, find me on Facebook slash ba- Facebook.com backslash Alan O-B, A-L-L-E-N-O-B. And I usually put stuff up there. Yep. We have all that information in the show notes, show notes, and you can follow me on all the socials at Jeff Minildi. And on the second and fourth Thursday of every month, you can listen to my other podcast, Divine Cinema, where we delve into the world of movies and faith. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, as for Irenicast, if you enjoy what we do here, recommend us to a friend or leave a rating and review for us on whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. We would really appreciate it. And just a side note, we really appreciate our listeners. We had yeah. our, we had our best download month ever in the show. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with our former guest, uh, Austin Channing Brown, which if you haven't checked out her book, do it. Listen to that episode. It's really, really wonderful. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for your support of the show. Uh, if you want to take it to another level, you can consider going to com slash Amazon before you make your next purchase and then just shop as usual. By using the link, we'll receive a small percentage of your purchase without any extra cost to you. That'll help us in covering some of the costs associated with running the podcast. That's com slash Amazon. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining the conversation.